Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Verizon Hub, the home phone reinvented exclusively from Verizon Wireless. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting next to me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. Wow, it's been a long time since I've heard that. Yeah, my world war, uh, worldwide rather tour is over, <laughs> so I'm back to hey there. All right. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, well, actually, today we're going to talk about a subject that was brought up by one of our listeners. Uh, this is from uh, Sandra. I almost said Sarah. I'm sorry, Sandra. Here's what she has to say. <clears throat> Hi, Chris and Jonathan. First, let me say I really enjoy your podcast and listen to every episode. Thanks for all the hard work. I'm learning a lot, and it's mostly painless. I bet that has something to do with the jokes we tell. I'm thinking maybe. All right. I'm writing to suggest an idea for a podcast. Over the last few years, we've moved to doing everything online, from banking and paying bills to entertainment and socializing. While it's true we can save paper and gas by doing more online, I think it's misleading to think it's more energy efficient overall. 
I recently read an article that said we have to build five new power plants every year just to support the increased energy needed for IT alone. That'd be bad enough if server farms operated at peak efficiency, but apparently they're incredibly inefficient, so much of this energy is wasted. I'd like to learn more about the impact of our bandwidth-hungry lifestyle and its impact on the environment and our economy. I hope you'll consider this for a future podcast. Thanks for considering it, Sandra. Well, Sandra, thanks a lot for writing in. That's an excellent email, and uh, we're going to try and tackle this. It's. It turns out... Um, this is a really tricky subject to to talk about, not because of any controversy or anything like that, but just because when you start to look at the the whole issue, you begin to realize the picture is a little larger than what you first thought, right? Oh, definitely. And then you look at that and you're like, wait, 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 wait. If I have to consider this, then I need to consider this next element so the picture gets a little bigger. And it gets bigger and bigger until you end up hiding under your desk and weeping softly. Speak for yourself. Okay, well, Josh Josh knows uh, I often actually will hide under his desk because he's very comforting. Yes, I understand. Mm. Yeah, as it turns out, uh, we've sort of worked ourselves into a hole, so to speak, because um, we rely on both paper and computer technology. Um, and neither one of them is particularly environmentally friendly. Right. And uh, neither one of them is particularly harmful so much more than the other. Yeah, they're harmful uh, they in different ways, good, too. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. And they're good and bad things about both. So, um, I was gonna tackle print and paper to start with, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Okay. So, I was reading up on a couple of different subjects. Uh, one of the, which was, um, you know, how much, uh, energy it takes to create a book. Um, there was another one that was talking about how much energy it takes to, make a ream of paper and you know it it's it's an interesting thing to read about and really again you have to think about the whole big picture not just how many trees you had to cut down or you know uh the processing plant for the trees to turn the lumber into paper um there are a lot of different things you have to think about like after after the paper's made it has to be shipped somewhere uh when it's being shipped somewhere that that the fuel is going to put an impact on the environment the uh uh, just the the travel and wear and tear puts an impact. I mean, eventually you start looking at this like a domino effect, right? Like, okay, well, that also means you have to maintain the trucks and the trains. And wait a minute, that also means that if it goes into a store, you have to pay for things like lights in the store. Like, where does it end is the question. But in general, there was a study done by the Book Industry Study Group and Green Press Initiative uh, not too long ago where they try to estimate how much carbon is produced through the uh, publication of a single book. Right. The conclusion that they came to was that each book uh, contributes about 8.85 pounds of carbon. Uh, so every single book you see, essentially that's what it took to make that book uh, possible. Including, you know, coffee table books? Yeah, Hardback, well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's an average, you know. Okay, Because, okay. yeah, you I'm, also... I'm cool with that. I just wanted to, you know... Get my bearings. I'm saying like the monster at the end of this book probably doesn't have as big an environmental impact as, say, the Lord of the Rings. Okay. Now, impact upon my life, equally huge, but not <laughs> upon the environment. Um, and they also estimated that the publishing industry generates about 12.4 million metric tons of carbon per year. Wow. That's a lot of carbon. That's significant. And now you have to also remember that when you're creating paper, obviously you're creating paper from lumber. You're going to have to get that lumber somewhere, so you have to cut down trees. 
And trees are what we call a carbon sink. True. So trees help take carbon out of the environment, mostly through carbon dioxide. Um, and so if you start cutting down the trees, not only are you in the process that you're uh, going through to create whatever it is you're creating, in this case, paper, mm-hmm. not only are you creating carbon that's going into the environment, you're taking away the the ability to absorb that carbon because you're removing some of the trees. True. So that's that's not good for the environment. And uh, and we've been consuming more and more paper products um, as the years have gone by. Uh, I read an interesting report by Green PDF. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you have to take this with a grain of salt. You have to always consider the source of the information you're receiving. Um, if you're receiving information from an environmental, like a pro-environment kind of a source – you have to remember, all right, well, let's look around and see if there's any other independent sources that verify this information. Same thing if you read from a pro-industry source, right? Absolutely. So you want to be fair as much as the time as you can. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to just assume that the uh, information you're reading is in fact, uh, completely accurate. You, you need to kind of look around. But what Green PDF said was that on average, uh, each person uh, in the world consumes about 123 pounds of paper per year. Mm-hmm. And uh, 28% of the paper consumed is used in printing documents. And the average office employee uses seven reams of paper per year. All right, so here's some more figures for you. 1.1 billion trees are cut down for this paper supply each year. Uh, 350 million metric tons of lumber. And uh, you think each tree removes about one ton, one metric ton of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere each year. Uh, and each tree can make about 173 reams of paper. Okay. So there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of figures, facts and figures for you. A ream of paper, by the way, um, producing it dumps about 12 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously that's a big environmental impact. Yep. Um, I mean, trees are a renewable resource. You can grow more, uh, trees if you need to. And the thing is, a lot of environmental organizations will tell you that there is some difference between trees taken from a sustainable forest versus old growth trees. Right. And there are some companies that are, I mean, if you really want to go looking for it, you can find lists of companies that will, that tell you the ones who use sustainable lumber versus old growth forests. Um, you know, if you are so inclined to, to do that, um, the thing also that I, I, you know, that I think that we should mention is the chemicals, sure. because if you're creating, say a craft paper bag, a, you know, brown paper bag that you would see at a grocery store, you know, that's pretty much, that doesn't really require a lot of, of coloring, but if you want bleached white paper that, that you'd get for, uh, you know, for example, school notebook paper or, um, paper for your laser printer, that takes bleach, and those chemicals go into a water source someplace in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember actually driving across Tennessee uh, and seeing signs. An environmental organization had taken out signs near the Pigeon River because there was a paper plant upstream, and they uh, they used the billboard, and it changed ever so, ever so often. But it would actually, you know, it would point out that this particular paper company was, you know, dumping chemicals into the water and, uh, you know, it, it affects a lot of things. It's not just 
you know, the trees being cut down and the carbon dioxide, it, it has another impact on the environment just from the actual production, the, the other costs of production, if you will. Sure. Yeah. I, I grew up in, uh, near Lake Lanier, um, in, in Hall County, Georgia. And, uh, and we had paper mills not too far from the house. So when the wind was blowing in a certain direction, you'd get that lovely oh, yeah. scent of the paper mill. Oh, if yeah. it was blowing in the other direction, chicken farms. <laughs> so if it was blowing in one particular direction, you got the best of both worlds. Oh yeah. And then, you know, you get the environmental impact of both of those. Right. Yeah. yeah fantastic. So that, that's <laughs> kind of the whole paper thing. So we're talking, you know, and of course there are ways you can, you can reduce the environmental impact of using paper. If you're using paper that, that is certified as carbon neutral, arguably that means that the company is doing something to offset the fact that they're taking trees uh, they're, you know, they're cutting them down. Maybe they're planting more. Maybe they're buying carbon offsets. But if you have a carbon neutral kind of solution to your paper, you might not be making quite as big an impact on the environment. Now, there's still other, uh, elements. You know, you were still talking about the production and the shipping, you know, shipping, just the, you know, just, just the energy you need to run a plant. I mean, that, that, that energy that's coming from that electricity. So, you know, there's still things that are going to affect the environment, whether or not you're using like totally recycled paper or whatever. That that's true. Um, and of course, there are costs, environmental costs, and um, financial costs to recycling too. Sure. Um, yeah. It does help, of course, if you buy recycled paper. Um, that encourages them to continue making recycled paper and to recycle paper when you you know are done using it. Um, you can always use the back sides of paper. Try to duplex print. Uh, if you're going to have to print something, here's one of my big pet peeves. If you work in an office where people do a lot of printing, you're going to see a giant stack of stuff that people printed out but never came to pick up. Don't be one of those people. If you're going to print something, print it because you need it and you're actually going to use it. Right. That, that's just one of my big pet peeves. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find that I need to use paper from time to time. I, I try not to use tons of it. Haha, <laughs> literally, but no, figuratively. Speaking, and the thing is, you know, I, I go over there and I see that big pile of paper and it just drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, so, I uh, understand that. The, the one thing though that I, that I find interesting about paper when I think, well, I'm going to shift to online is once the paper's produced, it's produced. Right. It's, it's there. It's not doing anything. It's not, you know, contributing to or, or detracting from the CO2 levels of the planet. Right. So, I mean, if you have, paper and are using it responsibly and not overusing it, then, you know, it's a sustainable resource. Right. So there's something to be said for a piece of paper. As opposed to, say, a computer, which is going to draw power constantly. I mean, unless you've unplugged it or you're using a uh, 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 one of the the power strips that can prevent vampire power from uh, going on, your your computer is always drawing some power. Yeah, vampire power uh, for the uninitiated is um, say you have your computer plugged into a power strip and you've turned it off so that you can go to work. The computer, that is. Right. Not uh, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. You turn your computer off but left the power strip on, your computer is still going to be drawing some power. As a matter of fact, if you if you have a, a desktop computer like a tower and you take the side of it off or the you know the front of it off where you can actually see, you'll probably see a couple of the, the little LEDs inside that tell you that there's something going on. Um, it's basically keeping the machine running. You know, same could be said for your TV. People don't want to wait for the TV to come on, so uh, the manufacturers build in you know uh, uh, the capacity to store energy so that you can turn it on and it pops on 
very quickly. Well, the thing is, it takes electricity to do that, and, you know, very low flow, and that's called vampire power. If you turn right. the power strip off, it stops drawing power. Right. Unplugging right. it will really stop it. Yeah. And, um, and, and we should point out that even the vampire power, although it, it is, you know, a, a, a constant thing, um, it's not drawing nearly the same amount of power as your computer would when it's running, especially if it's running like full speed, like running a very heavy application. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking about computers, we're really looking at things like energy efficiency, uh, you know, whether or not you are using any of the sleep or idle modes or if you're turning your computer off. Um, and also not only that, but when you're talking about online applications, now you have to look at, as Sandra pointed out, data centers and data centers. Okay. For those who don't know, a data center is essentially a collection of servers and it could be a small center. And when, when I say small, most people would think of a small center. Like most people in the IT biz would say like a hundred servers is kind of small. Yeah. Google has, has uh data centers that with a uh, servers that number in the thousands and Tens of thousands, and they've got these enormous buildings. They're size of of several warehouses put together, filled with these machines, all running. They're generating tons of heat. They're consuming lots of electricity, and they always have to be on because if they go off, your service goes away. So, yeah, that's that's no more Gmail. That's no more access to any of the files that you've stored in the cloud. That's no more search. Exactly. Yeah. So the the thing about that is that uh, those machines are constantly running, and there are probably at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of machines doing that at any one given time. And the Internet's made up of computers talking to one another. Right. And a a computer running, uh, you know, actively running can consume anywhere between, I don't know, like like 100 and something watts per hour to up to 300, depending on the machine. Um, Maybe even more, I guess, if you've got a really power hungry uh, device. But. Uh, so you, you gotta think, there are these thousands and thousands of machines that are running all the time. If you're using a lot of online services, um, then you're contributing to the need for more machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that, you know, you're indirectly, you are contributing to an environmental impact. So, uh, what, what can we do about this? Well, I mean, if you don't use it, I don't think there are going to be fewer computers out there. Uh, but what we can really hope for is that these companies will start looking into ways to um, to power their data centers in a renewable fashion that's not dependent upon you know traditional electric power plants to generate electricity. Uh, Google's doing that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, uh, I have some family up in the Northwest, and um, Google has uh, they generated headlines generated sorry uh, for the pun <laughs> <laughs> generated headlines a few a couple years ago because they were building a giant data center. Um, in a town near Portland called the Dolls. Um, the thing is, you'd think, wow, that's, you know, you look at the, the Google Earth view of this place and you go, man, that's got to have tons and tons of computers in it. Well, I'm, and I'm sure it does. However, it's also along the Columbia River. And the, from what I understand, that, uh, that data center draws a lot of its power from water. Right. Hydroelectric power. Exactly. So, you know, there are, there are things that they're doing there. And, uh, I believe with solar power too, mm-hmm. to try to offset some of the, uh, fossil fuel costs of sure. the electricity there. 
And and also, uh, I just uh, wrote a blog post about this recently as of the recording of this podcast. By the time this goes live, it'll actually be old news, but you can always go back and look at it. Um, <laughs> but I did a, a, a blog post about this uh, patent that Google applied for and was granted for a floating data center. Oh, yes. And it's essentially a data center on a boat, and the full design incorporates – um, some devices that generate electricity through the motion of water. So both waves and tidal motions and, um, and also uses the water as a coolant to mm-hmm. keep the servers cool. So it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't, it, it can just utilize the power of the sea to keep it going. And it's not drawing power from a power plant like most data centers are. Well, um, you know, Google actually has its own organization in-house that looks at renewable energy sources. Um, it's called RE is Less Than C. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually w- – this had come up before. We had sort of talked about the idea of writing an article or doing a podcast about this subject before. Um, and um, I got some information on that. Um, Eric Tietzel, who's the program manager – for RE is less than C, said that a Google search takes three ten thousandths of a kilowatt, which generates about 0.2 grams of CO2 every time you search Google. Wow. So, you know, it's small. It's a very small impact. However, you know, how many people are searching Google every day? At any point of the day, yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you think about that and how much that search energy is, is, you know, the cost of that search energy. Google and other companies have good reason to look into other sources because, I mean, environmental impact aside, it's got a financial impact. Right. So if they could find some renewable sources, especially non-polluting ones that, you know, make them look better. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a win, it's a, win, win. Exactly. It's a, it's a good move for them. And, and just like we were talking with the paper with all the additional factors that you have to take into account, same thing's true with computers. I mean, if you're ultimately, you're going to have to think, okay, what did it cost environmentally speaking to produce this computer? What did it cost environmentally speaking to build the data centers? Um, you know, it's, it's, these are costs that are essentially one time costs for, per machine, just mm-hmm. like a book is a one time cost. But it's like, again, you start looking at this big picture situation where everything gets linked in together and there's, there's not really an easy solution because there's no real way where you can just, you can't point to one thing and say, this is the source of the problem because it's so much larger than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's more than the, um, carbon footprint of manufacturing a computer, uh, let alone taking it apart. I mean, so many of them end up in landfills because people don't recycle them. Right. There's lead, there's cadmium, there's all kinds of Mercury, stuff in there. Sure. Uh, and it gets into the groundwater. There's the environmental impact of that. Right. And, uh, the more often you replace your computer, uh, and the more computers you own that need to be replaced, that just adds to that impact. Right. So there, there's something to be said, uh, for that too. So what we're getting down to here is that it, there's no easy answer of saying is paper better than using a computer or vice versa. Um, what we can say is there are certain behaviors you can follow that will help decrease your impact on the environment. And if everyone does this, that that does make a difference. Um, but we can't, you know, we can't just sit there and sign off on one versus the other. So using things like uh, recycled paper, um, you know, only using paper when you need to, that kind of thing, uh, as well as, uh, if you're using your computer and you're going to be away from your computer for, uh, a couple of hours, it's okay to go ahead and turn that off. Uh, the, everyone want, worries about whether or not the spike 
that you re- that you experience when you first turn a computer on mm-hmm. if that if that negates the effect you would have of turning it off in most cases it does not in most cases especially if the longer you keep it off the the greater the benefit is so if you are going to bed at night and you're not going to be up and using the computer for 8 or 10 hours turning it off is probably the best choice and if you can't turn it off or you know you just you can't you're just not going to using a, a sleep mode um can also really really help out uh a sleep mode might be just a, a couple of percentage points of what the active mode would be. And don't assume that a screensaver is the same thing as a sleep mode because it isn't. Yeah. It actually can generate a lot of, it can drain a lot of power. Uh, because I mean, you know, you're it's, running, you're running a program is what you're doing. And it's displaying something yeah. on a monitor. So if you have a desktop computer and a monitor, it's keeping the monitor awake. Right. So don't just, you know, oh, it'll go to screensaver and that'll, that'll save money. Uh, no, go ahead and put it on to sleep mode. I mean, it might mean that it takes a little longer for it to boot up, but it, you know, that's a small price to pay. I mean, and you'll be saving money, uh, on electricity bills. Yep. You can also unplug a lot of your, uh, electronics when you're not in use, or you can get smart power strips that will do it for you. They can, uh, a lot of the power strips now come with the ability, now they're more expensive. I should point that out. Um, but, but they, they come with the ability. They go, oh, well, this thing hasn't been on for uh, half an hour. I need to just turn this off. And and it's an upfront cost that eventually will be offset by the savings you you make, assuming that you know you're using it appropriately and you know th- that it's that it's that it's a device that's going to last a few years. It may take a while because when we're talking about savings, we're we're talking about you know, maybe a couple of dollars per year, which doesn't sound like a you know, it's not not really that remarkable, but you are making a much uh, lower impact on the environment. That's true. That's true. I think uh, what we really need to emphasize is that what you do, you need to do responsibly. Yes. You know, if you if you behave uh, responsibly and not wastefully, um, you know, I don't think any of us are going to be able to give up our paper and computers anytime soon. Uh, they're just too embedded in our, our daily lives. I think the best thing to do is sort of mitigate and, um, you know, find ways that we can contribute to uh, – reducing our carbon footprints and maybe the global carbon footprint as a, as a whole. Sure. I agree. So that's all, right. all I got. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for writing in. That Very was a much. great discussion. So we really appreciate it. Uh, if any of you wish to write us, please do so. Text stuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, you can go to howstuffworks.com to learn about everything. We're talking about green initiatives, technology, all sorts of great topics. Just check that out, howstuffworks.com, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 